Hello everyone, it's Coach Heather from TikTok. You may know or remember me as Coach Heather 904. And welcome to our podcast, Get Happy and Drop the Label. In this podcast, we will discuss healing and recovering from all types of trauma. Trauma does not end at growing up. Healing the trauma starts by talking about it. We make ourselves aware and those who seek the truth will keep seeking the truth. We are fully committed to ourselves and to others at the pursuit of happiness, or we will die trying. And remember, recovery is not one size fits all. With me are my co-hosts, Kyle Johnston and Diamond Morales. And together, we make the Dream Team. And welcome to our podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Get happy and drop the label. Welcome to Get Happy and Drop the Label, everyone. We are so excited to have you with us here today. My name is Coach Heather. You may know me from TikTok as Coach Heather904. And here with me today are my co-hosts, Kyle Johnston and Diamond Morales. Kyle has his own movement called Drop the Label. This is a safe space meeting and place for anyone that would like to recover from their trauma. You can visit his movement at dropthelabel.godaddysites.com. Kyle and I met on TikTok through our struggles through recovery. Diamond does not suffer from any addictions, but is certified and trained to help people get through this. Tonight, we have a special guest, though, all the way from Portland, Oregon, and her name is Cecilia, and she is going to be sharing her experience, strength, and hope with us this evening, and I personally am already so intrigued by just the few details that she's already personally shared with me, so I'm going to give her the floor and allow her to share whatever her heart wants to express with us tonight. Okay, thank you, Heather, and thank you, Kyle, and Diamond, thanks so much for inviting me to share this space with you guys. I think it's really pretty cool that we're all in different spaces or areas, and then we can join together like this. Um, I was really intrigued to share, um, like, really personal details with both of you guys, because you guys were very vulnerable and um, transparent in your TikToks, and I felt the urge to say, I, I hear you guys, and I'm, I have similar experiences and um, ideas and views. Um, I guess I could start by saying that um, both of my parents uh, were also addicts, and uh, my father is Native American, and um, we are descendants of survivors of boarding schools, and and I think that is uh, has to be said because I think it greatly um, gives the like that my story like foundation and um, people if you people understand um, the effects that boarding schools have on the the next couple generations since and still like some people I know that are still alive that were in boarding schools I have many clients that you know were in boarding schools themselves like there's people still alive it's like not history it's like actual um you know people are still here that suffered those traumatic um things and it, it's passed down um through generations and it's learned behavior and so uh, I was 
brought into a family that had no idea what they were doing. And, and my father was a, an alcoholic and a, and a heroin addict. And my mother was a heroin addict as well. Um, and I can remember uh, the earliest memories, just, just being in fear all the time. Um, I guess like the hypervigilance and the, um, like figuring out how to check out happened very early. Um, I didn't like what was going on around me. So I always seemed to be like in some other fantasy land or just waiting for the next bad thing to happen. Um, my dad was very violent and, and I believe that that came because he was a victim of some very traumatic things himself. Um, he was very much abused by stepfathers and, um, and it harmed him. He, he was da a damaged person and he tried his hardest. But like I said, those behaviors that came um, from people being in boarding schools, uh, they're very much, that's the way you lived. You were very strict and you got beat um, when you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And that was handed down from my, my grandmother to him. And so that's what he was working with was an addiction and uh, really bad learned behaviors. Um, some other things outside of that happened to me as a child by just them being addicts. There wasn't great people always around. So I did um, have uh, quite a few experience of being um, sexually molested by different people. And, and that kind of shaped my, my childhood. Um, being in fear, caretaking for my mom and my dad and my little brother, uh, I started using drugs at a very, very young age. Um, alcohol was really prevalent and offered to us as kids, which is so weird to say, but that, that's kind of the lifestyle that they led was very um, communal, lots of people around and people gave you alcohol. And I can remember drinking as young as like five and six. And then I remember uh, watching my mom's kind of like obsession whenever there was like coating cough syrup around. And I kind of picked up that you could, you could get high and feel, feel different if you drank the cough syrup. And that's what I started doing about eight, eight nine years old is I started um, using coating cough syrup and, and, and anytime I could find a pill um, in my dad's stuff or alcohol, that, that's what I did to check out because I didn't like the environment I was in. It was scary and I had no control over it. But when I was able to use substances, I was able to have some, some relief and some control over my life as well. Um, the first time I was put into a hospital or a treatment center, I was, I was 13 years old. Um, at that point, I couldn't um, take the abuse anymore. And there was a, a moment where I fought back to my father when he was um, harming my mom. And in turn, I was, I was locked up for that. Um, so I felt pretty let down from the system and, and the people around me from a really young age. I can remember as far as like kindergarten asking the teachers to look at bruises and telling them that I didn't want to go home. And um, it could have been like the error of the 80s, but 
you know, things were just like, uh, people's heads turned a lot and nobody did anything. And we also moved a lot, we moved like twice a year. So I, I just think that I was just one of those kids. And so was my brother that we just kind of got like, you know, not noticed very, very much. Um, and that was my feeling. So as a teenager, when my mom left my dad at that point, um, I, I was out of control. <laughs> I was absolutely out of control. I tried to explain to my kids if they knew what Jenny Jones was, like I would have been one of those out of control teens on, on Jenny Jones. And, and I wish I would have, like, I wish I would have been put in a boot camp because maybe things would have, the trajectory would have went in another direction, but that's not, that's not what happened. And I was left to my own devices and, and I, my drug addiction was a pretty heavy one um, as a teenager and I didn't finish high school. Um, and then I had a child at a, a very young age of 18. I was a, a teenage mom and thought I could, I could take on the world and because I was going to be nothing like my parents. I, I really, truly believed that, that I was going to um, do something different. And then during those teenage years, like I had family in recovery and I saw the rooms from a young age and I was taken to meetings as a kid. And, and at 13, I was going to meetings because I was in recovery. And then in high school, we had to go to meetings because I was in recovery. And so I was in and out of rooms from the time I was a young kid. And, and I knew that that's where people, you know, went to get help and to get better. My aunt and my uncle had long-term recovery and I was able to see their stability and how their lives had changed. And, and I knew that that was there. Um, I'd like to say that um, I got sober after I had my first child, but I did not. Um, I did not at all. And then it got pretty bad of, um, I I wasn't able to pick the best people to be around. So I was in a toxic relationship and, and I, and I left um, him and then went to the next relationship. And then I had um, my twins uh, and their father died when I was pregnant with them. So I was alone at 21 with three children and, and no idea how to, no idea how to, um, I had no idea. I was, um, you know, trained as you grew up that you just did what you were supposed to do, but I could not figure out why I couldn't do the things I was supposed to do. I had no idea what anxiety was. I had no idea what PTSD was. I had no idea that trauma had such effects on people that they ultimately like turned to drugs and alcohol because they, you know, didn't have any other relief for knowledge and that that's what happened to me um by the time I was 22 I had um an IV heavy heroin and meth addiction and I reached out for help at that point um and asked my family to take my children and and they did and then I reached out and I got help and I was uh got a bed in a behavior modification treatment center that's someone who's been in several treatment centers and nothing's working it's actually like the most horrific way to treat people and it was and it was traumatic in itself but at that point um I did learn a lot of my behaviors uh and what 
were causing them and how if I changed those behaviors that I would able be able to stay sober and and things got better I got my children back to me um I stayed sober I had a home and I was able to hold a job but I was I was miserable uh I was court ordered to go to um 12 step meetings at that point I went and got my slip signed um, I didn't want people to hug me. I thought that was the weirdest experience, people wanting to hug me, and I really just couldn't stand to go to them. It, it was horrific. Um, the amount of trauma that I had, like, still to this day after so much, like, um, therapy and trauma work and, and step work, um, I still, you know, cry when I talk. And, and so when I would cry in meetings, at, or the second I opened my mouth, I could barely like even say my name and I would just cry. And it was like, I hated being so comfortable of my emotions. And so I had to stuff my emotions. And I, as soon as I was like able to not go to meetings anymore, I, I didn't. And I thought that that was what you were supposed to do, just go to those meetings and and connect with people and and then it was supposed to work and and I swore to myself that I was never never going to use again and I thought that my children and my family were enough to keep me from using um but that wasn't the case I I relapsed after about three and a half years um and during my relapse it, it got very bad I was a in a really um, toxic relationship with my youngest son's um, father, and um, there became there came a point where I was going to jail, and I had to have my family take my kids again. And um, at that point, I I said to myself, and I listened to like the lies of the drugs, and that I didn't deserve my kids, and I they deserved a better life, and I stayed away for a long time and I couldn't get help because I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed um, to say that I did it again, um, that I messed up, I hurt my kids. And, and the longer I continued to use, the longer the shame and the guilt built up. And I was like pretty content staying away for the rest of my life because I didn't, I didn't wanna face the harm that I had done to my family. And so that brought us to like um, 2015. Uh, my, my oldest daughter was then 17 and she was about to give birth to my grandchild. So we're like looking at many years of like harm and, and damage. And at that point, um, I was allowed to come to the the hospital when she was born, but I was also supposed to be sober. And I, I lied and said that I was, and because I was very entitled to things, um, I deserved very much to be present to my granddaughter being born. And I had um, a really uh, askew view of, of what I should be doing in life. Um, and Ultimately, I was kicked out the same night of the hospital because I was too intoxicated to even hold my granddaughter. Um, at that point, I saw 
another generation about to be harmed by, by me and all the people that had harmed me. If that makes sense, I had allowed to um, continue to let everybody that had harmed me control me. I love all the people that put their hands on me, that touched me, that raped me. I let all those people control me and, and uh, carry the pain with me my whole life. And I saw later that that's what I had done. I had um, allowed the pain to, to become me and to harm everybody around me. And I didn't want to do that anymore. And I remember um, I, wa I wasn't brought up religious. My parents were not religious. It was like a big, like, no, absolute no, not with the boarding schools. And my mom being Irish and in Catholic schools, they like, religion was like, you can grow up and figure out what you are. And, and I, I did have a lot of traditional values uh, with the native side of me. And, and after that point in the hospital, I was living in my car I was doing over three grams of heroin um, a day and I was alone and nobody wanted to be around me, my kids or my family or anybody. Um, and, I, and I started praying um, to my creator that if I, cause I didn't know any other way, but I knew that the rooms were there to help me. And I remember praying in like, probably like this day seven years ago um like if I remember saying like if I get back in the rooms I'll do it all right and like begging I will steps I will I will get a sponsor I will you know go to meetings and I remember that was like my my barter with my creator and and I couldn't get myself to go to detox even though I like knew where it was I'd been to it so many times but I still just couldn't get to it each day um, there was um, a day, it was June um, 26th, I think, June 25th or 26th of 2015, um, when my twins who were living with my father um, asked me to come over, which was a rarity because I wasn't allowed at anyone's house um, because I wasn't, I wasn't fit to be around anybody either um, with my heroin and meth addiction. I, I wasn't presentable. Um, but they had invited me over and, and I went over and I, I was so very much defeated since my last relapse it had went on for about 10 years, um, nearly 10 years of, of struggle. like I didn't have a home for eight years of my own. Um, I stayed at like all different places and and it wasn't, it wasn't safe um, for a long time. And I showed up at my dad's house and um, I was hanging out with my twins. And then my twin said, grandpa wants to talk to you. And I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to leave. Like this sucks. And, and what they had did was they offered to take me to detox the next morning. And, and I did. I remember I said, yeah, I'll go. Um, Nobody had offered that. Nobody had offered me help in a, a really long time. Um, so I went. I went to 
I went to detox. I wasn't accepted the first day, but I did go back the next day and I got in and I remember I gave my father my car keys and my phone and I left everything behind, which I have never done before. I don't know if anyone listening is an addict. You always carry your stuff you need with you, especially for your addiction. But I, I did not. And that was something different. And, and while I was in detox, I didn't call anybody. I didn't ask for anything. And I just sat there. And then I was offered to go back to a place that I had been before, which was a cultural specific facility. And, and I went there and, um, and that's where I began to like heal and, and listen to things. And treatment centers are usually 12 step based. And, and that's where I got um, really heavily involved with the 12 steps because I didn't know any other alternative there's not many alternatives given um it's like you do the 12 steps so you're gonna die and that's literally what you hear in the rooms you say that if you don't do the 12 steps you're gonna die and yeah and it's pretty it sounds pretty scary especially when you're at a point where you don't want to die and you're like shit i better do these steps and i better do them to the best of my ability or i'm gonna die and and that's how i felt at that point so i did I did everything that was suggested to me and in the 12 steps and, and they saved my life. It saved, it saved my life. I, I, I got self-respect. I got self-worth, um, through service. I became like, uh, responsible. Uh, I had a purpose. I just shared my story. Like every time I was asked, I did H and I, I had like nine service commitments at one point because I was told service kept you clean. So I was going to do all the service so I could stay clean because I was just like so broken and scared that I was going to do anything that was told to me to do. And, and I, and I did it. And, um, it, it worked for me. Um, the absolute 12 step program worked for me for many years now it has but that's not the case for so many other people that I see that I help that I treat that I'm friends with that I've sponsored I am so like dumbfounded of the views that people have on medication that saves lives it is awful my my mom is on medication and she has a nearly five years sober and she's never had sobriety in her whole life since she was 12 and if it wasn't for medication she would be dead she has end-stage cirrhosis and she's 65 years old and she has sobriety and she's here for her children, her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren. I don't know how many women I've sponsored that have gotten on medication that have saved their lives, that have gotten them jobs and self-esteem and homes and careers. I can't even count how many women I know that are successful people in society and they used and still use medication, some of them. 
And I, I had an attorney after my second round of steps because I was going to do all the steps and I was going to do them in each fellowship. So I'd be versed and I would know it all. And so I would be sure not to die. So I did them. And then after my second round of steps, probably about three or four years ago, I realized that my sponsor has no idea how to help me with my trauma. Uh, my sponsor does not need to carry the weight of my trauma. And that is very selfish of me to think that I can get fixed or not fixed, but I can heal through the 12 steps. I, can, I can't. I'm not one of those people that I do a set of steps a year. And when I'm done, I do another step, <laughs> round of steps. There's so many people like that. And I applaud them if that's how they believe they can heal. But that that's not what the 12 steps were formed for is it's not for people with complex trauma and and um, shame and guilt um it is uh and was set up for alcoholics um that i believe were in very privileged places in life and in that time era and and that's um the base of it and it's outdated it's not scientifically based and it's damaging and i'm scared for the young people that believe that they're not enough because they can't get sober from abstinence it people are dying at a rate that's like astronomically un unreal um my stepson uh, died three years ago because he took a pill at a party and my son no longer has a brother because um, fentanyl is everywhere and it's killing people. And I can guarantee every family member of a person that's passed from an overdose would have wished they had Matt and Suboxone and other options. I am very adamant about my views of harm reduction and that they save lives. And um, I say all the time, anytime I can speak is that I want people to come into the rooms and feel like they belong and they deserve their seat because they do. And that people um, need to change their views and I make sure that I vocalize it. I will have seven years sobriety on the 28th, which I think is like two days. And I used to like not be able to go like seven minutes without shooting heroin. And, and I, I do applaud the 12 steps for giving me a great foundation and a basis. Um, but they are not for everyone. I um, see people close to me struggling because of the amount of trauma they have and they can't even get through the first step. And, and that's sad and they're mocked and they're ridiculed and they're told to keep coming back sarcastically and, and it's damaging. And that, that's why I reached out to you guys because that's what I heard you guys saying is that I've, and I've always said it for years, like your opinions kill, people's opinions kill. And if um, they read in the literature, um, medication, if you have an outside issue, 
then you should absolutely get outside help and use medication if needed for whatever. Like it says that in the literature to, to get outside help. And, and if people understood that, then they would see that everybody does belong no matter of what they're using or what they, they believe. Like if you haven't picked up heroin for 10 years and, and that's because you're using a medication then that that's recovery. If you haven't, um, drank, but you've smoked weed, that's reco- that's a recovery. You've recovered from something that was like hopeless and, and a death sentence and, and, every person deserves space to to heal and and i hope that with more people speaking up about it that meetings become more tolerant and and people become more educated especially with the epidemic of um fentanyl and and we help people instead of killing people and and i just want to thank you all for allowing me to share um I just shared yesterday at an anonymous event, and and that was um, really amazing, man. It is so good to vocalize and tell people if you're on medication, stay on medication if you need to. You know, I I love to express to a bunch of heroin addicts that they are loved, and however they're doing it they need to, you know, keep doing it. Like I got to, um, have the opportunity to, um, share some intimate moments with like almost a hundred people yesterday. And, and so many people feel the same way as I do, but they're so scared to vocalize it because they're not going to belong in these meetings that treatment centers and society tells you, you have to go to, or you will not stay clean and you will not live it's it's bullshit um yeah I I don't know if I could say much more I probably I always leave a ton out and but I always pray before I speak that let me speak what I'm supposed to speak and what is supposed to be heard gets heard um yeah thank you guys I thank you that listen one Every time I speak about the 12 step fellowship, I, in the beginning, when I started speaking out, I would always say, you know, not everyone's like this, you know, pat them on the back, rub them, pat, you put their crown on their head, because as soon as you speak up about it, there's all these people that are upset, you know, like, well, that's not the program. Well, what, what am I, how am I supposed to say, you know, like when, when do we address the elephant in the room? Like, the literature is being glanced over and then people's opinions are being was being taught right so you got all these people being feared into submission now yeah it's being feared into submission helped a lot of people in the beginning but what about those that went through genuine traumatic experiences what about those that have gone their childhood being shamed and ridiculed and yelled at and talked down to and threatened like it doesn't work. In fact, you're just opening all these wounds. Like I broke away and I believe I broke away because I went through the abuse and the sexual mm-hmm. assault and the molestation and the mind game. So like at one point I was like, wait a minute, like I went through this 
And after the court said, you're free, and treatment center said, see ya, and I finally had a, a home of my own, I was like, okay, I don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. But I didn't feel comfortable living my own life personally and not addressing the, the problem, you know? And I, uh, like, wow. Like, yeah, there's so many people that feel the same way that we do that, you know, at least have this concept and this idea like we do, where it's like, hey, man, recovery is whatever you make it. Like, recovery is more of a state of mind than it is, like, what's in your bloodstream. Like, if you're not out on the street doing the things you used to do, like, you're you're recovering. Like, you, you are at a different place in your life today, you know? Like, yeah. And no one deserves like an overdose where if if those practices were practiced everywhere, you know what I mean? Like if like it's just yeah, I um I listen the whole time and it's okay if you cry. I that was the, yeah. <laughs> that was the <laughs> you did the crying for me because I believe yeah. me, I'm a crier and I was emotionally and mentally connected to your story. Thanks. Yeah, I can't. I I mean, every once in a while, I can say things without crying, but it's very personal and very emotional. Like when you think about how freaking messed up your life was and how good it is now, like I can't help but cry. Like my life is absolutely amazing today. And um, I'm and I'm floored that it is because I had no hope from like the youngest age. And now like I have a home, I'm, I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother, I have a career, I'm a, I'm a counselor. Um, yeah, I've healed and I haven't healed um, exactly like the 12 steps um, says. I kind of broke away from them a couple of years ago and I feel really, really good about it. I still attend meetings at times, um, but I can't condone the, the shame that people go through. Um, I seen my mom cry uh, because of people and their memes they post of Suboxone memes. And, and I had a friend that didn't tell anyone for three years that she was taking a medication because she was so afraid of the ridicule. And that is not a program that I want to stand behind if people are scared to share what has helped them recover. Um, yeah, it, it's they, not they, okay. It's that I th- when you mentioned the Suboxone meme, this is, I have to tell you, the Suboxone meme was the original post that I seen on a Facebook page that I was like, I was case managing and I was working with people on MAT. And when mm-hmm. I seen that post, everything that kept me on fear mode of not speaking out snapped, yeah. like I snapped. And I grabbed that post and it was from a so-called friend. And I grabbed yeah. that post and then I posted that post, but I showed everything everything else that was hate speech. So I went through, I went through like the Nazis, slavery, yeah. Irish slave. I mean, I posted <laughs> everything that was hate speech. And I said, this, this is what you look like when you stand from a mountaintop of sobriety, right? And you speak down mm-hmm. on people taking medications. I said, this is the hatred that you're so and somebody was like oh wow that's and i'm like no and from and from that point on 
I yeah. have not stopped speaking up. Like they don't, they don't have to like it. You know, it's the truth. Everyone deserves life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Everybody does. Could you tell us more about um, some of the good things in your life? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, after I got sober, I was able to go to, um, from treatment to a domestic violence shelter, which was like life freaking changing. You know, I got to go to somewhere that wasn't recovery based, which was really cool for me because I got to focus on a lot of the trauma that had led me to use. And I was able to stay somewhere for 18 months of my the beginning of my sobriety and I paid like $50 a month for a transitional room and I went back to school I said this time after getting sober that I'm gonna pretend like I'm 18 years old again and I'm gonna I'm gonna start all over and and that's what I did um I went back to school um and I became the first generation college student of, of in my family you know um and since then I've had uh, all three of my kids graduate high school, two to go on to college. And so like the ripple effect is outstanding because of the things that I did um, for the, you know, the foundation of my recovery. Um, I went back to work at the facility that I attended and I, and I work for the um, center. Um, I am able to help other natives um, find recovery and hope. And I get to work with um, a special population on a daily basis. And I think that is like, um, un it's unreal. Because when I was in the, the center and I saw the people working there and I saw the happiness and that they had friends and I was like, I, I want that. And, and I got that. And so I just recently got my, um, it's called a CADC2 in Oregon. It's a bachelor equivalent counselor. Um, I'm also a qualified um, mental health professional registrant. And, and um, I work uh, every day at not doing any harm because that's what I wanted when I got sober. I didn't want to harm anybody anymore. So every day my goal is to plant seeds and, and do no harm. And, and the rest is up to everybody else in, in their path. Like it's not, um, it's not when I want it. And that, that's um, amazing. I've also had um, a lease on a um, for years that I hadn't had a home for years. Um, I am able to be present for all of my children. They, they're all adults now. Um, and my oldest is now 25 and she has been living with me for the past couple of years because she's needed help. And I've been able to give her that space to, um, grow up some more and, and have some support, um, I have two other wonderful daughters um, that are now 22 that are doing um, wonderful in life. Um, one of them recently um, came back home too to stay. And, and that's such a gift because I lost so many years of being a mom and I cannot tell you the joy it gives me to go buy things for the house and, and take care of 
my family and and give them the opportunity to heal like they they deserve that um they had to grow up really fast um having a mother that was an addict and and the twins father was dead they um they need this time and i love that i am here to support support them and that i think that's my biggest accomplishment is to like not just give them what they need at the time but to acknowledge that it's a, a blessing um and a gift um from my creator to to be able to do to um do the normal things like a lot of children stay at home until they can make it out, out on their own and and i also am a little selfish still and and love my granddaughter at home so um i i can't I could go on and on about how much it means to have my children around at one point in my life. Um, I, I didn't ever want to be seen again, you know, and they can um, depend on me and I'm reliable and um, and I'm a, I'm, a I'm a pretty good human nowadays. Yeah, and so I think those are my greatest accomplishments. I could talk about like material things, but those really don't mean anything to me. Um, what means the most is the interpersonal relationships that I've built with um, a community of uh, people, um, with my native community and um, cultural um, events and ceremonies, and in my family especially, um, they, they all can depend on me. And that, that's the biggest accomplishment. Yeah. Was it difficult for you to um, connect with them? Be, um, I've just heard like a lot of people say that that happened because of drug addiction or the boarding school. Was it hard for you to like make that connection with the, your creator or did you always have that connection? Um. I always um, knew that I, there was a creator and, you know, there was certain meanings to things. My grandmother did taught, teach me some uh, traditional things from our tribe and I always knew it was there. And um, when I got sober, my father said to me, um, you need to, you need to sweat. You need to go back to, you know, in the lodge and you need to heal and, um, being able to uh, go into the lodge and and heal, because um, that's where we go to be with our creator and talk to our creator. Um, I think that's given me um, the most healing is when I, I've been able to connect with my culture that was um, taken from um, my family. And I can see the effects that it has on my other family and my father um, was very much uh, a victim of the boarding schools. And so was my grandmother. Um, and I feel like I'm honoring my ancestors and um, my family that didn't get to connect and get back to um, what is real, what keeps us sober. There wasn't addiction or alcohol or violence or abuse. Um, before uh, the Americas were colonized, um, that wasn't here. Um, this is all new and and really recent and and still happening. Um, the effects 
of um, addiction and alcoholism and the native communities is still killing us today. The genocide has not stopped. And they blame it on the natives. Uh, they are stereotyped and looked down upon because they can't figure it out. And a heal, um, but we haven't been given the means to do so. And we are still taken from on a daily basis and, and given the bare minimum. And that was the plan was to take all we had so we wouldn't be here any longer. And, um, and I get to work every day to ensure that people get to connect back to their culture and that we can heal um, as a nation. And I do believe like other countries that have been colonized, that this is the first time America's has been colonized or baby, baby colonization. And every country always goes back to their roots. India always went back to Buddhism. The Americas are gonna go back to the natives. Um, I, lo I love it. I love it. Um, uh, the future generations from just me will absolutely make a difference. Um, the healing is just now happening, I believe, in the native communities. We've just now been given um, the tools to heal, and I believe the future generations are going to help heal um, from now on, um, and that's huge. Yeah. Do you think you are the one your ancestors prayed for? I believe that you are. Yeah, because I, I do need, too. I won't even let you try to answer. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I believe that my my grandmother, I think about my grandmother um, being in a boarding school with her sisters for 10 years and given nothing but on a daily basis and uh, and she beat that she came out and they moved to portland and she had some kids she didn't know what she was doing those kids got damaged my dad did a little bit better than her and he was still fucked up but he did a little bit better than her and he's an amazing man he was victimized. He did a little bit better. I'm doing a lot better. And I think here on out that it's going to keep getting better. Um, it's just a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, I believe my ancestors are behind all I do. Um, I can't just say my creator, like they say, pick a higher power. My ancestors, um, are with me every every day just like everybody's yours are um they're with us like they give us the strength we don't have to pick like a higher power like we have real things that can give us the power the people that came before us power us we have to do it for them what they couldn't do you know they absolutely we we are our ancestors the one thing that touches me the most about your story is when you said that your granddaughter was being born and that was like a pivotal moment for you and then the fact after that if I heard correctly but your mom got sober after you as well right 
So, yeah, yeah. In hindsight, um, yeah. because of you, you and your mom and your children and your grandchildren yeah. and like, are you know, like you're all healing. And that's what yeah. touches me like just more than anything, because my mom is still um, just, you know, kind of active in her um, addiction and everything. And, um, it just gives me so much hope. It really, yeah. it, it just, it, it really does. It, it, and I'm sure it will give a lot of people hope, but that's my favorite part. Yeah. And also it takes so much courage to share that. And I know that if you can yes. do it and we can do it, you know, I know more people, I just appreciate every mm -hmm. single thing and my condolences to the losses that you've had and everything that you've had, that you've had to go through. But I just wanted to say personally, my condolences to the loss of your stepson and to, um, to your twin's father. also, I just want to say, thank you. You're welcome. I really appreciate that. Yeah. My mom, I started a meeting in, um, the town that I was at, um, I started a heroin anonymous meeting and had never had one in this town. And um, when I started, my mom um, attended and she got honest and then she got help and she got on medication and she's been sober since um, the meeting that I started. Numerous people that have gotten sober since and um, in the literature, it talks about like, to watch a fellowship grow up around you is something that should not be missed. And I've been blessed with that to start um, small and share what I've found with other those rooms. And, and um, it's, it's a blessing. I, I, I'm very, I try to remain really humble, but I've done some really huge shit, you know, and, and You're from, allowed I'm to... like just one, I'm just one person, You're... but when I yeah. see the effects yeah, when I see the effects of me just finally just saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, and people are fucking following, you know, and that's what happens when you speak up, people are gonna follow, like, I reached out to you guys, because you guys are holding a space for something that I believe in, and hopefully pe more people will follow. Can I say, imagine, imagine a star shining super bright, but keeping its shine away from everyone else, not to upset them. Like right. you'd never see them, right? right? So right. You're like I get it. In the beginning, they're like, you know, keep your ego down, keep your, you know, humble yourself, blah, blah, blah. Man, mm -hmm. if you're doing great, gloat. If you're doing great, pat yourself on the back. Tell people yeah. that it's like it's, you're capable of doing it. Like we don't in recovery, especially in the rooms of AA, I, I got more shame and discord than I got a con like a pat on the back for accomplishments, you know, like, Oh, you're about to, you're, you're completing this. Well, don't, don't let that get to your head. Like my entire life, I was told I was nothing. Right. Like, I was in situations where I'm sitting there wondering if I'm going to make it till tomorrow, I need to be, you know, like praise each to praise each other. Okay. Mm -hmm. For, the little things and then to Absolutely. like throw on a party for the big things like like mm -hmm. that connection you know yeah. like there should be no shame in recovery we've all been shamed or most of us that come into a room of uh of recovery of any kind have gone through some things that we don't even want to talk about you right. know and went through ridicule right. so like to shame people there's there's no room for it and for you wow mm -hmm. like you get to be a pillar Right. In your yeah. in your in your circle in your family, yeah. like they they get to look at it and say like that's my mom, 
you know, like, and be proud. Yeah. Like, yeah. and no matter yeah, if, like, you take, like, a, no matter what happens, all this that's happened in these few years, man, like, that's an accomplishment. Like, it can never be taken from you, ever. Right. Absolutely. So for people that like have a relapse and fall off, like I want you to know, like all those good things you did didn't disappear. And if the people yeah. around you are shaming you for it, those people need to be removed and you need to find people that look at you and go, you're still allowed to be loved and you're still allowed to be around. And, you know, we can, we have maybe set some boundaries, but like isolating people because they're being human. Yeah. Because yeah. they're dealing with a struggle. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I hear countless people, you know, that have relapsed that we're pillars in the community. And I recently heard a man come into the room and he said, no one called me. No one called me. And he was pretty angry and he had the right to be because you shouldn't be like the, you know, like shunned because you're being a human being because addiction is like cunning, you know, and just because you relapse doesn't make you a bad person you didn't morally fail you just were a human it happens imagine your like your trademark being helping people in addiction but you got to be sober first yeah hey we yeah. we we got the cure for you but stop drinking for like if man work with them where they are right even well, if, go ahead Sorry. Yeah. Well, I just look at the traditions and, uh, you know, the only requirement for membership is a desire to desire. stop using a desire. You do not have to stop. I went to the room so many times loaded and you know what? I've gotten fights a couple times because people said I wasn't supposed to be there. I was supposed to be there. That's the yeah. requirement for membership is a desire to stop using. And if you can possibly get sober, then you begin to do some work. But until then, you should be allowed to have a seat in those rooms because they save their lives. And, and I have always fought for that. Like, I have a desire. I can't do it right now, but I am a member. Absolutely. And it is between a person's higher power, like it says in the literature, and yes. them, whether or not they're clean, not the judgment of others, sponsors, friends. It's between a person and their higher power. I hear that question all the time. Well, so-and-so smoking pot, but they say they're clean. Well, then they're clean. Don't yes, question you can't, a person's, you can't judge yeah. them based off like that. No. Their self-analysis is perfectly fine. Right. Yeah. Then and imagine that person that's like relapsed and still using, but they are at the meeting every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You have right. eyes on the person needing the most support. Right. Yeah. Imagine all those people that were mm -hmm. shamed, feeling like they couldn't come back. Like, where are they at now? Most of them I know are not here. Right. Because of shame. So many, so many people do not reach out because they're ashamed. I've had so many sponsees at times relapse and they were too ashamed to call me. And I, like, I do not care if you, I do care if you relapse, but I am not going to shame you for it. Like people may lose their date, but you do not lose what you learn. Each relapse is a lesson. It was for me. I can't count how many times I relapsed or lapsed or whatever term um, the program wants to use, but each time I learned something else. And that is what has shaped me today. If I didn't go through all that struggle and pain, I would not 
know what I know today. And I had to go through it. I was supposed to go through it. I was put through it for a purpose. And now that I use that for good, that's what it was for. Like, and in the big book, it, there's a statement in the family afterwards of Henry Ford says, oftentimes addicts come into, you know, our past is all we have. I can't quote it verbatim, but he says, um, our past is all we have. And if we use it in good account, um, that that's what we're supposed to do. And oftentimes, like myself, I didn't have anything but my past in when I came into the rooms and I used it at, for good and, and, it, and it healed me and it gave me hope and and it helped so many others like uh, we 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 are supposed to uh, be human and and we're supposed to do the things we're supposed to do to teach us lessons that we need to learn and and it's not about what the book says or the literature says it's it's about what what's going to save people yeah yeah thank you I really appreciate what you said tonight. And I hope that people listening, like regardless of your beliefs, regardless of, you know, how you pray or how you meditate or what you focus on, like regardless of anything, like just as like just human beings, man, we deserve, we, we deserve love and peace and we deserve a space of our own and we deserve to be treated better than how we've been treated. So it's like, if you're a person in recovery, the one place that we finally found where we get to make life worth it again, do not stand mm -hmm. as a door ushering people away because they don't fit the recovery that you created for yourself and your mind. And if fear keeps you sober, do not place that fear on someone else. If you cannot speak from a place of hope, read the book. And, and that if you're a 12 step member, use the pages. Don't use your opinion of fear and shame because what it does is that that it turns into a very unhealthy way of thinking. So when a person needs help the most, they won't reach out to you. They won't right. reach out to the person that shamed them. They're gonna go, <laughs> go to that one place where we know that, okay, well, he's here. I can find comfort <laughs> in myself. Well, we die alone, man. So I, I like, <laughs> If, if one thing you can say to grab anyone's attention at the last second was they're about to make a, uh, maybe a bad decision or maybe they already made the bad decision and they're running now because everyone's looking at them and they're feeling shame in their self. Like one thing, one, just one, whatever it is that comes to your mind, can you say it now? Oh, that's a lot of pressure, but I just want them to say that there, people love you. Don't listen to the lies inside your head. Our lies, those lies and those things that our mind tells us is our addict because our addict wants to kill us. And, and you deserve to live. You deserve to heal. And, and you belong um, here. There it is. Will you repeat that last part? I actually didn't hear you. I think my computer cut you off. It was the very oh, last no. sentence you said. Uh, um, I think I said you deserve to heal, um, not to listen to the lies in your head and that you be you belong here. Everybody belongs here. Like, that's why we're here. Oh, I'm glad. Oh, I'm glad I asked you to say that. I completely agree. 
and um and i've uh, spent a lot of time uh disagreeing with that so i appreciate you commenting <laughs> that um because my ego would fight you otherwise so <laughs> <laughs> but seriously um your story really touched me personally i'm gonna go home i meant not home but go to bed tonight just thinking about some of the things you said and how they personally touched me but um your perseverance and um the joy that you radiate just i mean i know we're on zoom and we're on this podcast but just looking at you and seeing you talk about your family and like the strength that are like that you have from everything that you've had to endure and the fact that you don't really like it it's like how they what do they say in AA we don't close the what, what do they say don't close the door oh not it's not coming the door we don't wish the uh we don't shut the door in the past or wish to shut the door something like that yeah I can't yes yeah but yeah. when I look at you I I get a really good feeling of that you know like to be proud of you know where you came from and uh, so inspirational it makes me so happy that that you're um, able to give back to your your family and your your daughters and your granddaughter. You, um, mm-hmm. you said that it was it was a girl, right? Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah, yeah thank also you so much. Also being able to speak up and shine light on something that's been happening for generations and generations since the beginning, since you, since men and women like you were colonized, you know, and regardless what people think, like the, the way the America works, everything that they is a, this is like a dog and pony show. They, they give out their best lies and they keep, they keep spinning them. And you know what? Yeah. We're not listening. We're not listening to the lies. Your your false history books, you know, like we got all these founding fathers. They were all slave owners. They all, they all own slaves. They murdered people by the thousands. They, they, they like, and they're still doing it and see, especially to your people, they're still doing it. Imagine if more people talked freely, like we are. And we said, you know what? Like, let's just stand up. Like, just so, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's Absolutely. time. And I appreciate, I appreciate your story. And um, to be a mother that is like, to be the mom that all kids want. You know, like I want to be a father that all kids want to around. Like I can't wait for Kyle to come over. Like you know, like just to know that I am a good parent. You know, like rock that because you are a good parent. Like yes, we need more. You know, Mm -hmm. so uh, I usually play us out, but like I'm on my phone right now. My stupid mac oh yes your tiktok let's give a give a shout out what's oh. your tiktok your call sign um it's cecilia is rad i think that's on all my platforms like instagram and uh tiktok um cecilia is rad yeah um that's where you'll find me i don't have great videos or anything but maybe i'll start making some um i appreciate you guys very much yeah i enjoyed uh holding this space with you thank you absolutely thank you I did too. I, I was very enlightened and inspired by you, Cecilia. Thank you so much. I appreciate every single moment of this. Thank you. I appreciate you as well. Heather, you want to sign us off and then I will, uh, we'll wrap it up. 
Okay. Uh, um, if you guys want to follow Cecilia on TikTok, um, I'm just going to spell her TikTok. And I believe she, she also said that this is the same on Instagram and Facebook. So it's Cecilia is rad. That's C-E-C-I-L-I-A-I-S-R-A-D, all one word. Cecilia is rad. And she's got some really awesome videos of Montana on there. Um, I've always wanted to go to Montana. Do you get to visit there? I went there last year for the first time. Well, since I've been sober, I travel like every year as much as I can. And Montana was um, Glacier National Park was last summer. Yeah. <laughs> Did you love it? Was it amazing? It was gorgeous. Yeah, it was. It was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm something in my soul calls me there I'm just it's like on my bucket <laughs> list I don't know why so I'm just very I, I vicariously have you lived could, there through you <laughs> yeah yeah you could get lost there for a long time it's huge yeah mm -hmm. all right well thank you everyone for listening thank you for your story and I hope Absolutely. everybody has a good night thank you you guys too